Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 read like this. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Today, we're talking about the topic of stewarding transitions, because life is filled with transitions. You may have noticed that to be human is to be in a state of continual change. Anybody feel like you got some big transitions going on right now? Lots of hands going up. Your body is different today than it was yesterday. It'll be different tomorrow, and it'll be really different 20 years from now, right? Your mind is changing. Your circumstances are different today than they were last year, and next year they'll be different. Life is constantly inconstant. That's what Ecclesiastes 3 is alerting us to. This famous poem says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. Now this poem is talking to us about all those different times in life and all the different seasons of life and the transitions between them. And the poem is not making value judgment. Sometimes people misunderstand this poem and talk about, this is a poem about how beautifully God has structured all the beautiful, wonderful rhythms of creation. But there's a lot of stuff in this poem that isn't beautiful. See, this is a wisdom poem. The poetry is beautiful. But the message of the poem is this is the way that reality is. This is the way of life. It's here to teach us wisdom, and wisdom is always about learning to deal with reality and not illusion, not fantasy. So it's talking about here's what life is like under heaven. Those two words are important. Everybody say under heaven. 
If you were here a year and a half ago when we were studying the book of Ecclesiastes, you may remember that one of the phrases that gets repeated over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes is this little phrase, under the sun. It's talking about, every time it says under the sun, it's talking about life in a fallen world. A world that is filled with goodness and beauty because it was created by God, but it's also filled with brokenness and pain because of human sin. So to say under heaven is to say the same thing as under the sun. We're talking about life in a world that is good and bad, beautiful and ugly. But the phrase under heaven here has a subtle nuance of difference because also throughout Scripture and in, in, in Ecclesiastes, when we talk about heaven, that is a place associated with God's reign, God's rule. So what it's trying to alert us to is this fact. The world is filled with good and bad, beauty and ugliness, because it's God's good creation and because sin has messed it up. But over it all, a good God reigns as king. And he's sovereign. And he can walk with you through the good times and the bad times, the beautiful times and the ugly times. If you look at the pairs throughout Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, there's a lot of good stuff in here to celebrate. There's a time for healing, a time for laughter, a time for dancing. There's a time for love, a time for peace. But also, there's the other half of each of those pairs, right? There's a time for killing, a time for weeping, a time for mourning, a time for hatred, a time for war. Now, again, this is not saying go hate people, go make war. But what it is saying is this, if you want to become a person of wisdom, you need to learn how to walk with God through both sets of times. You need to know how to walk with God in a time of dancing and a time of mourning. How to walk with God, how to follow Jesus in a time of peace and in a time of war. Spiritual maturity and wisdom is going to involve both of those. And... We need to learn how to walk with God through the jarring transitions that are between each of those times and seasons. Life is about transitions very often. As a matter of fact, verse 2 alerts us to the fact that our earthly existence under the sun begins and ends with two shocking transitions. There's a time to be born. You don't remember it, but we popped into this world through a traumatic experience, right? Um, to go from the warmth and security of the womb to this cold, bright world is traumatic. You've got to pass through the birth canal. I don't want to gross anybody out. I'm just saying. It's a, it's a traumatic transition. It can be painful and difficult. It is disorienting. And uh, yet, on the other side of that is the, all sorts of new possibilities. Aren't you glad you don't have to spend your whole existence in the womb? There's freedom and opportunity on the other side. And then life ends with death. I think I heard some pregnant people laughing about you. Amen. Glad they don't spend forever in the womb. <laughs> at, the, at the end of our earthly existence is death. Death is painful. Death is difficult. If we don't know Christ and we have to bear in ourselves the consequences of our own guilt and evil, that's a terrifying, tragic thought. But in Christ, death is another one of these transitions that can be painful and difficult but on the other side is beauty and life and joy and possibilities beyond anything we experience in this earthly life. So life begins and ends with these transitions, but all the seasons between them are these times of big transition. So if we want to learn to walk with wisdom, we've got to think about transitions. Everybody say transitions. 
That's one of our key words. But the other key word today is this word stewardship. We're talking about stewarding transitions. So everybody say stewardship. The idea of stewarding transitions is this. Jesus has entrusted to you the season of transition that you're walking through. Jesus has given you this season of transition. How are you going to steward it? What are you going to do with it? What does Jesus want to do in your heart and in your life through it? What does the devil want to do in your heart and life in this time of transition? We want to think about stewarding these transitions well. The reality is that transitions are seasons of great opportunity and usually seasons of great challenge. It's both. Great opportunity and great challenge. Transitions are almost always disorienting and uncomfortable. Some of us like change and get really excited about it. But even so, once you start going through it, it can be very disorienting and scary. Others of us don't like it at all. And so we especially feel like it's disorienting and scary. It's times of transition in which God often does some of the deepest transformative work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus. Don't you want that to happen in your life? It's also during times of transition often that the devil attacks those opportune moments of temptation. So we want to talk about how do we steward transition well if we're in the middle of the transition. And, and as we think about transitions, I just want to put this idea in your head. There's one Christian spiritual director who talks about the life of wisdom being a life in which you learn how to recognize and respond appropriately through the repeating pattern in your existence of these three steps. Order, chaos, new order. Order. There's, there's order. My life makes sense to me. It's predictable. I understand it. And then something disrupts that. There's a period of transition, and that feels chaotic. And then that leads to a new order. And often what the new order is like is dependent upon what happens inside of us during that in-between period of chaos and difficulty. But that's the transition. Now, it's easy to lose our bearings, but this leads us to the third text that was in your bulletin today. Hebrews 13:8 is awesome. And if we leave here with only one thing today, I hope it will be Hebrews 13, 8. Let's memorize it together. It's short. You want to repeat after me like we're kids in children's church right now? Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's do it one more time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Which means, glory to God, there's one thing in our life that doesn't transition. There's one thing that doesn't change. That's why Christians use the metaphor of the anchor all the time. It pops up in all of our sermons, almost as much as the iceberg, right? So the anchor, when your, your ship is getting blown around by a storm, it's good to have an anchor, right? So you don't get capsized or get thrown off course. Jesus is the anchor. It's saying, Christian, follower of Jesus, there is something steadfast and immovable in your life. There's something that can give you a sense of hope and security and stability and purpose and continuity, even through those chaos seasons, the most disruptive kinds of transition. Jesus loved you before you ever knew him. Jesus loved you before you were born enough to die on the cross for your sins 
and then come back to life. Jesus is never going to stop loving you. He loves you today. He'll love you tomorrow. And that is the reality that anchors you in times of transition. So let's say it one more time. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When we're walking through transitions, we want to hold on to that reality and learn to pray, Jesus, what are you wanting to do in my life and in my heart during this time of transition? I want to encourage you to challenge, challenge you to pray, pray that prayer right now in your heart and today. Jesus, what are you wanting to do in me through the transitions I'm walking through in life right now? I know that many of you in the room are going through big relationship transitions. People have recently got married or maybe you started dating somebody or maybe the opposite. People have gone through a very painful breakup. Many people have been affected by the pain of a divorce. I know there's people that have children being born. That's a big transition. Or your children are starting school or your children are finishing school. Big transition. I know there's people that have recently moved or you're about to move. You're going to live in a whole new place. It's a big transition. And, of course, we as a church family, obviously, are going through a big transition. A few weeks ago, Christ Community Church and Rancho Village voted to merge. And next week, that's going to start to feel real. It's already been feeling real for me because I've been having a million hours of meetings behind the scenes the last four weeks. But we at Together are going to be worshiping as one body next Sunday. Are you excited about that? Let's go ahead and praise God for it. Let's clap. Let's celebrate. I'm excited for the new thing that God is going to do. It's a time of transition. And as you're walking through personal transitions and as we as a church family are asking or walking through transitions, let's make it our prayer. Jesus, how do we stay centered on you? Jesus, what are you wanting to do in my life through this time of transition? How are you trying to make me closer to you? How are you trying to help my heart mature through this time? Now, that leads us to our other text, the middle one from Isaiah. Now, the, the text you heard was from Isaiah chapter 40. And if, if you don't know, there's a huge transition that happens in the book of Isaiah between chapter 39 and chapter 40. And that transition in the book is reflecting a huge transition in what God is doing in his relations to his people. If you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, there's lots of beautiful grace and hope in there. But there is an emphasis on the fact that the people of Israel, God's chosen people, are destroying themselves by their sin. They're worshiping false gods. They're committing injustice. They're exploiting the poor and the vulnerable. They're failing to care for the widow and the fatherless. And God is warning them and God is pleading with them to repent. But he's also telling them, if you don't repent, judgment is going to come on you. And you're going to be hurt and you're going to have to go into exile and despite a few bright moments, the children of Israel are not repenting, and so they get sent into exile. 39 chapters. But then there's a sharp turn at chapter 40, and it begins, comfort my people of Israel. And it enters into a section in which God is saying, though I have disciplined you and am disciplining you because of your sin, there's hope. Aren't you glad there's hope on the other side of the Lord's discipline? And throughout this section, there's two words that, two, two pairs of two words that repeat a lot. One of them is new thing. Everybody say new thing. And the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing. And the other one is calling God's people to respond to the new thing he's doing by singing a new song. Everybody say new song. So Isaiah is saying God is about to do a new thing. 
And so you need to learn how to sing a new song to celebrate the new thing that God is doing. And the new thing is a bunch of stuff. He's going to raise up Cyrus and there's going to be all kinds of things happening. But what's going to eventually happen is the children of Israel are going to come back from exile. They're going to experience spiritual renewal. The temple is going to be rebuilt. And ultimately, the Savior is going to come. And there's a lot of beautiful passages pointing forward to Jesus. Now, it's in that context that we get Isaiah 40 Verses 3 through 5. And what the prophet is saying here is, if you want to be ready for the new thing God is doing, so that you can sing the new song and be in tune with the Spirit of the Lord, then you need to prepare your heart. Prepare the way of the Lord. So the key word is prepare. Everybody say prepare. Look with me again at Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 3. In the wilderness, by the way, a lot of times transition times feel like wilderness times. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare, prepare. What does it mean to prepare the way of the Lord? Well, there's all sorts of metaphors here about making a road, but God doesn't need the road. It's a metaphor, y'all. What you got to get ready is your heart. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain You see, if if we want to be ready for the new thing God is doing, we need to expect there there's idols in our hearts that need to be dethroned. God's about to bring oppressors down and lift up the humble. And he's saying in his to his people in your heart, there are things that are high that need to come down low and there are things that are low that need to get raised up in your heart as individuals and in your community. There's high things that need to come down. Arrogant, proud things, oppressive, exploitative, rebellious things that need to be humbled. And there's good, humble things that have been overlooked that God's going to raise up and bring to the surface. And that can feel disorienting. That can feel like chaos. That feels like disruption. That's transition. But look what it leads to. Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So if you're going through one of these transitions and there's upheaval happening, one possibility is to rebel against God. That's not what you want to do. But if you humble your heart and walk with God through it, at the other end, what's usually there is a deeper, more beautiful glimpse of the greatness and goodness of God. Knowing God better. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, Isaiah is saying there's a period of chaotic transition which is a period of preparation followed by a period of new glory. And I want to be clear, Isaiah is talking about some specific circumstances, okay? I don't want to wrench this text out of its context. Isaiah is talking about his role as a prophet to prepare the people of Israel for all that God's about to do and bring home from exile and so on. And, of course, if you're a Christian Bible reader, you know that these words get applied to the prophet John the Baptist in the New Testament. He has a role as a prophet to prepare the hearts and the community of God's people for the coming of Jesus, the Savior. But also, Christians throughout the ages have, I think, rightly gone to this text during times of key transition and said, God's doing a new thing. He's going to show us his glory in a new way, and we need to let him do work in our hearts to prepare the way of the Lord. And I'll tell you, it just so happens that the morning after the vote, from Rancho, that we were going to merge, I woke up and in my morning Bible reading, I was in Isaiah 40. And when I got to these verses, verses 3 through 5, it just felt like the Holy Spirit said, stop. And this is a word for us. In our church and in our community, God 
we know from Scripture God wants to show his glory in new ways. Amen. He wants to reveal his glory to all kinds of people. And we need to be ready for the preparatory work that he wants to do in our hearts. So for the last part of our time today, I want to give you a few practical ideas about how we can steward our transitions well. Okay, I'd encourage you to take notes on these parts. I'm going to go kind of fast. And I'm not going to elaborate too much, but I'm going to ask you to write these down, ponder them, ask the Holy Spirit to show you which of these he wants you to focus on this week in your time of prayer and also in your community groups. There's going to be a time to reflect on this. But what I want to do is talk to you about five wise spiritual practices that can help you to steward transitions well. This is true for our church transition through the merger, but it's just true for any life transition. And then I'm going to talk to you about three temptations to be aware of in times of transition. So let's dive into those five wise spiritual practices to steward transitions well. The first one, in times of transition, recenter your heart on Jesus and the gospel. That's actually just a wise spiritual practice for every moment of every day. But in times of transition in particular, it's easy to get distracted. So recenter our hearts. Why? For so many reasons. Jesus is our life. He's our king. He's our savior. He's our friend. And everybody repeat after me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Recenter your heart on him because he loved you and he was wise yesterday. He's going to love you and be wise throughout the season of transition. And he can lead you to the other side. Okay? He cares for you. Jesus isn't just for getting saved. Jesus is for being saved, for being transformed by God's grace. But I didn't just say recenter your heart on Jesus. I said recenter your heart on the gospel of grace. What do I mean? I mean the good news that you couldn't have earned God's acceptance and love, but you didn't have to because God already loved you. And God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins and rise again so that you could be saved before you ever tried to trust and obey him. Isn't God good? And the God who loved you before you ever tried to obey him is not going to abandon you now if you trust in him. If you want a scripture on this, I'd encourage you to jot down 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, which says this. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you. Now, notice when he talks about the gospel, he's going to make it clear in the next verses. He's talking about the good news of God's grace, his salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, you did receive it. That's past tense. But now he says, you stand in the gospel. That's present tense. And he says, you are being transformed by the gospel. That's ongoing progressive. The good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins isn't just for the first step of the Christian journey. It's for the whole journey. It's every day looking to the cross and saying, this is how God loves me. And the God who loved me this much is not going to abandon me. He's going to support me. He's going to transform me. He's going to heal me. So in the midst of all the distractions during times of transition, we recenter our hearts on the person of Jesus saying, Jesus, I want to be close to you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to follow you. And we recenter on the message of the gospel. Listen, if there's anybody here today that came to church knowing you're not right with God, here's the beautiful simplicity of it. All you got to do is believe that gospel and trust Jesus and he'll forgive you. That's all it takes. He'll reconcile you with God and adopt you into his family. And if you've been a Christian for 40 years, 
Here's the main call of the church every Sunday and every time we get together. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel and respond with faith and repentance. So the first thing is the most important. Recenter on Jesus and the gospel. The second thing is also very important, though. It's this. Make space for appropriate celebration and grieving. Second wise spiritual practice for any life transition is make space for appropriate celebration and grieving. There's almost always both involved in any transition. Really hard transitions like the death of a loved one are primarily times of grieving. But isn't there also a time of celebrating the life of that person? And for Christians, we grieve, but we grieve with hope for a reunion with that person. Or think about the happiest. I mean, there's some having a baby, getting married. That's celebration time. But sometimes people feel guilty because it's like, I'm supposed to be happy right now, but I've got all these other emotions going on. And what we want to say is that's okay. Because the previous season of life that you're leaving behind had some good stuff in it. Amen. And now, after that's leaving behind, it's okay to just name, hey, I'm sad about that good thing that's going to be different now, and grieve it, which actually can open up place in your heart to celebrate next. Sometimes we get stuck and we can't celebrate because we haven't spent enough time grieving those things. And we can move forward. Both the celebrating and the grieving are taught us in Scripture. I mean, I could list a bunch. I just wrote a couple here. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16 says, rejoice always. Verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. But I think most of us are more tuned in to the reality of holy thanksgiving and celebration than we are to the reality of holy grieving. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Jesus doesn't just say it. He models it, right? At, at the tomb of Lazarus, he weeps. In Gethsemane, he sweats drops of blood. If we, if we take seriously the biblical claim that Jesus is not only God in the flesh, but he's the prototype for authentic humanity, we come to recognize that there is a positive role for negative emotions in the human life. And t- making space to grieve and to celebrate is one of the things that can help unlock our hearts. I, I had other thoughts in mind about this, but I, I'm just going to tell you, I won't name their names because I didn't ask their, their permission, but I was just had this modeled for me. Because a few minutes ago, I was having coffee with some of our brothers and sisters from Rancho and was sitting down talking to a couple that has been at this church for many, many years and seen their kids get raised in this church. And they were so excited about the merger. And they were talking to me about, I'm so excited for the next thing God's going to do and excited to all be together. All of our joint services have been great. But they were also telling me about how they were baptized in this church in 2008 and they were crying and saying, it's a time of grief as well as really exciting. They didn't even know what my sermon was about. But they, they were crying and grieving and saying, man, it's been so sweet and so good for these decades. And I, I'm going to miss it, but I'm excited for the next thing God's doing. That's an example for us to imitate. I encourage you to make space for both of those. Number three, take a spiritual inventory. Take a spiritual inventory. What do I mean? I mean, look at your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what needs to be done in your heart. And, and I would encourage you to do this with the language of Isaiah 40, verse 4. I spent some time this morning praying, saying, Holy Spirit, show me what are high things in me that need to come down and what are low things that need to be lifted up to the surface during this season, in my heart and in our community. 
Sometimes I pray stuff like that, not expecting anything, and then the Lord immediately brought a few things to mind. And I wrote them down. I want to work on that. So take a spiritual inventory. If you want a scripture on this, you can just jot down Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God, what is good in my heart? Sometimes we only see the good in ourselves. Sometimes we only see the bad in ourselves. Say, God, show me what is good in my heart that you're wanting to bring to the surface and cause to thrive and flourish more. And what are the sinful attitudes or actions or patterns or lies that I've been believing that need to be rooted out? And I would encourage you to ask some trusted, mature Christian friends those two questions as well. What are the good things you see coming out of my life that I need to pour a miracle grow on? And what are the weeds that I need to pull? Take a spiritual inventory. Fourth one is this. Ask God to open your eyes to new opportunities for spiritual transformation and service. Ask God to open your eyes for new opportunities of spiritual transformation and service. It's not going to look, the new is not going to look the same as the old. Remember what Jesus said about wineskins, guys? Can't put new wine in old wineskins. The new is not going to look the same as the old. So a wise spiritual practice to say, God, I, I'm expecting that you're going to do a new thing in my heart to make me more like Jesus in this time. Because Romans 8:29 says, from before the foundation of the world, you've been plotting to make me like Jesus. So I'm just expecting that right now your work, you're going to work to do a new thing in my heart. Show me what it is so I can actively participate. And Ephesians 2.10 says God has prepared good works for us to do. If God's been doing stuff in your heart, he's probably preparing you for the good works that he's about to have you do. So say, Lord, what are the new opportunities for service that are going to be different that you're preparing me for that I need to be ready for? And finally, the fifth positive spiritual practice is this. The first two words are the most important words of this one, and they are slow down. Everybody say slow down. During times of transition, it's important to slow down, to be with God, to be with God, not to go do a bunch of things and solve a bunch of problems, but to be with God and to discern what healthy spiritual rhythms will look like in the new season. Slow down to emphasize being with God rather than doing for God. Both all the time, right? But I need a foundation of being with God that is wide and deep enough to sustain the work of mission that God's called me to do. I need to slow down to emphasize being with God and establishing healthy spiritual rhythms for the new season. Often what happens during times of transition is we told you that there's order and then new order, but what's between those two? Chaos. Everybody say chaos. And chaos feels disorienting. Chaos feels unpredictable. It feels scary. And so when we feel scared, we often try to do what? Take control. Grab something. Take control. And we start often making decisions quickly to make us feel better like we're in control. The problem is those often turn out to be the wrong decision for the new season. And we start filling up our lives very quickly, our schedules with the, the new thing. And what wisdom says is, everybody say, slow down. Slow down. You want a scripture on this? There's a bunch of them, but why not just go to a classic? Isaiah, uh, Psalm 46.10. You'll know what it says. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Slow down to reestablish healthy rhythms. As a matter of fact, with, with our staff this week, it was awesome to have Jordan Hutchings joining us as the staff from the two churches coming together and having a time of prayer and fellowship. And what, part of what I said to the staff is there's so much that we need to figure out. And there's, we need to bring systems together. We need to answer questions. We're going to be cutting programs and starting programs and combining programs. There's a million things to do. And what I want to say to us is let's not do any of it over the next few weeks. Instead, let's spend some time seeking Jesus and establishing each of us individually. What's the healthy rule of life going to look like for the next season? Healthy rhythms of work, of rest, of pray, and of prioritizing core relationships so that those don't get frayed coming into the next season. All the programs and decisions can wait. Amen? So that's just preface in case you have questions about things that we haven't figured out. I'm not going to try for a few weeks, right? All those things can, can wait because first we need to be rooted in Jesus and have healthy, sustainable rhythms. If you don't know what I mean by a rule of life, I don't have time to explain it right now, but go talk to anybody on our staff and they will download it for you and then you can pass it on to others and we'll disciple one another, okay? All right, so those five. Let me read, read those to you one more time and then I'm going to briefly mention the three, transition, uh, three temptations. Five wise spiritual practices were this. Recenter your heart on Jesus and the gospel of grace. Make space for appropriate celebration and grieving. Take a spiritual inventory. Ask God to open your eyes to new opportunities for spiritual transformation and service. Slow down to be with God and to discern what healthy spiritual rhythms will look like for you in the new season. Now, here's three temptations. The first two of these come from the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness. It was a season of major transition in the history of God's dealing with his people. And the children of Israel, pretty much without exception, totally messed it up. And then for the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's saying, don't do that. But if you look at what happened in their times, there's, there's some patterns. The first temptation is this, grumbling against God and people. See, what happens when we get very disoriented and when it feels chaotic and we start feeling scared... We start thinking, whose fault is this? We start blaming, right? And sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we get mad at our roommate. Sometimes we get mad at our parents or a community group leader. Or you just get mad at somebody, right? Find somebody to point the figure towards. And what we're, this goes back to what we said a few weeks ago about expectations. Let's set our expectations. It's going to be chaotic and disorienting and confusing, and that leads to fruitfulness and the glory of God. But when we're in that middle, if it feels crazy, just don't look for somebody to blame. Instead, say, Jesus, help me walk through the crazy middle. Okay? So the children of Israel, you can go read in Exodus and Deuteronomy it constantly. Just Google the word grumbling in your, or put it in your Bible app, and you'll see all these passages pop up. The second thing that they did, though, is this. In times of transition, there's a temptation to run away from God's new calling because it's too scary. Run away from God's new calling because it's too scary. You can read about this in Numbers 14. I mean, if you think about what the children of Israel are going through, you don't want to judge them because we're exactly the same, but it's kind of a mirror showing us how crazy we are sometimes. They were slaves. And now they just got set free, and then every page of Exodus and Deuteronomy is about them complaining about it, right? And then now God says, here's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's yours. You just got to go take it. 
and I'm going to be with you and give you supernatural power to take it. And then in what we read about in Numbers 14 is that was too scary. So they grumbled against God. Everybody besides Joshua and Caleb says, no, we're not going to do it. It's too scary. And so then they didn't get to enter the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb did. They had to wander for 40 years. So in this new season, God's going to give us some new assignments. And sometimes it's going to feel scary because we haven't done it before. But listen, if you had an awesome experience of your last assignment from God, it wasn't because you were so awesome. It was because Jesus was awesome. Right. And in the next season, you're going to be asked by Jesus to do something new, but it's okay because Jesus is still awesome. Everybody repeat after me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we're not trying to replicate past methods, things that worked, things that were wonderful and fruitful in the past. We're not trying to depend on history or familiar experiences. What we're trying to do is depend on Jesus for the new thing he calls us to do. And finally, third temptation Becoming entangled in worldly pursuits. When the old order gets disrupted and we feel insecure, it's easy just to fill up our lives with stuff, busyness, schedule. And we spend less time seeking God, studying the scriptures, praying, fellowshipping with saints, sharing the gospel, making disciples. Our our hearts just get too full and our schedules get too full. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13, 22. This is when he's explaining the parable of the four soils. He says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So it can be easy to grumble against God and people. It can be easy to run away from God's calling because it's too scary. It can be easy to become entangled in worldly pursuits. What is the antidote to all of those? The antidote is to recenter on Jesus and the gospel of grace. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm done preaching now. But I want to invite you to bow your head. And I'm just going to read through one more time quietly those three temptations and the five spiritual practices. And with your head bowed, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if, and if he says, if he draws one or two of these practices or one or two of these temptations to mind, just jot it down. Because the Holy Spirit may be wanting to give you something to emphasize, to work on in the midst of the transition that you're going through right now. And then I'm going to say a prayer for you. Here's the three temptations again. Grumbling against God and people. If you've been walking in that, you might just want to confess it to God and ask him to help you reframe your thoughts biblically. Running away from God's calling because it's too scary. Just pray the Holy Spirit's going to give us a spirit of courage. Becoming entangled in worldly pursuits. There might be things in your life that aren't sinful. They might be sinful, but that there might be things that aren't sinful but they're taking up too much emotional space that you need to give to Jesus. I want to just ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you if there's one or two of these wise spiritual practices to emphasize. Recenter your heart on Jesus and the gospel of grace.
makes space for appropriate celebration and grieving. Take a spiritual inventory. Ask God to open your eyes to new opportunities for spiritual transformation and service. And slow down to be with God and to discern what healthy spiritual rhythms will look like for you in the new season. Holy Spirit of God, we surrender to you. We submit to you. Would you help us to be a people who walk closely with Jesus through the coming transitions? Would you help us to die to ourselves, to surrender to Jesus so that we can become our true selves for your glory? Would you give us a spirit of humility, of courage, and of faithfulness? Would you forgive our sins and drive out the enemy, protect us from the attacks of the enemy? And Lord God, the desire of our hearts is that we'd be able to look back five years from now and celebrate the grace of God that has made us more like Jesus and so many people who have come to know you. Lord, we long for thousands of people in South Oklahoma City to come to know you. We long to multiply disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples to reach the nations. We long to be agents of your healing, love, and mercy and reconciliation in our community and our world. But we know that that work needs to start in us. So we're slowing down right now and just saying, here we are, Lord. Do what needs to be done in us to prepare us for that. In Jesus' name, amen.